Oh my, okay. Welcome everybody. Are you, can you still do this and still masticate? Uh, can, can I still talk and you guys okay? You're gonna be all right? Not gonna cause indigestion? Anybody all right? <laughs> Wanna make sure you're okay. Uh, you have made a good decision uh, by being here uh, and wanting to go through this process. This is not a bad decision. Uh, in fact, uh, for most people, it's actually one of the most life-changing, revolutionary decisions you could ever make. Uh, this is not a classroom. Uh, this is actually a process of life investment, life on life, and it's a process for you to become all that God intended you to become. Uh, the training center is different than anything you've ever experienced before. And so, wives, I'm, I'm here actually talking to you to encourage you uh, that uh, your, your man's going to be different. He's going to change. And if you're here to be involved in kind of, I want uh, a guy who's going to be a, a secular approved guy, uh, that's probably not your guy. But if you want a guy who's going to be actually someone that you see in the pages of Scripture, uh, a man who leads the way that God intended him to lead, a man who serves the way that God intended him to serve, a man who wants to shepherd and disciple his own children and actually love his wife more than life itself, uh, then this is the process you want to be a part of. It's not easy process, but let me assure you right out the gate that uh, we've had over 400 men go through year one. Uh, and, and this is both in Arizona as well as here at, at Faith Bible Church. Uh, men who are working secular jobs, sometimes 40, 50, 60 hours a week, can do this process, but it will require some sacrifice. It will require some changes in mentality. Uh, it is more than just a class. It is more than just education. In the simplest sense, and I'm going to go for the throat right out the bat here, it is a process where uh, you're being coached and trained to determine God's will for your life. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says that God has prepared good works beforehand that you should walk in them. That, that, that's a very disturbing verse. God has already sovereignly prepared your life for how it's going to manifest uh, in, and, and things that he intended you to do. Uh, that's the clear rendering of that verse. You can't make it say something else uh, when you exposit it in its context. It means that God has a plan. In Acts 13, 36, it said, David fulfilled his purpose in his generation and then went home. He died. So what is your purpose in this generation? That is the purpose of the training center, not to turn you into an elder, not to turn you into a pastor, not to turn you into a deacon, not to turn you into some super duper lay guy. It's to determine exactly what God made you to be so that you can fill out exactly how you're designed and actually be full and rich in that process. We've had wives that come to us and say, you know what, my entire life, I asked all my Bible questions of my father, and then once my husband completed the training center, I, I asked him. Uh, a real transition occurred. Uh, my, my children used to look to others for answers. Now they can talk to my dad, uh, you know, their dad. And so understand our desire in this process is actually to help you, to assist you, to become all that God intended you to be. We're not going to make you into any something. Uh, God's already made you into what he wants to make you. We're, what, what they're going to try to do through the training center is draw out what God made you to be. And in that process, uh, it's going to be shaping for you. Uh, and, and again, you've been in classes where you learned incredible stuff. 
you've been in situations where you are like, wow, that was incredible. You're going to be in a process now that every element of your life is on the table. Every element. Your thought life, your finances, the things that nobody's ever asked you about, they're going to start asking you about. And everything that you learn from the scripture is going to be in the context of how would you then use this for ministry? How would you use this to minister to others? How would you help others? How are you going to be an asset in the local church? Does that all make sense? So it's a different kind of process. It involves discipleship. It involves training. It involves preaching, teaching, all those different elements. But it is not what what I'm doing right now, lecturing to you or giving you information. It won't be that way. You'll be doing something totally different that you've never done before. Uh, Anybody familiar with Harvard Law? Anyone? Okay, no one. Okay, a couple people. Harvard Law, very interesting. What they do is that you study all day long, all night long. It, It is super intense. And then when you come to class, they don't lecture to you. They drill you. They ask you questions. Okay, here's a court case. What are you going to do? Here's a court case. What are you going to do? Here's a court case. What are you going to do? There's a lot of that in the training center. You're doing all your work. And by the way, it's geared toward laymen who are not supported full time, who don't have time to do this so that you do it when you can. If you have lunch breaks, you study during that time. If you uh, early morning before the kids get up after evenings, if you're a football fan, kiss that goodbye. Okay. Uh, you know, uh, the purity of it, uh, you're going to have to change some of your watching habits and your recreation habits. You'll have to discipline yourself. But it can be done. Again, hundreds have gone through this. Men, some had 13 children and they went through it and they were great. Some have had uh, multiple jobs, uh, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, yet they've gone through this. You can do it, but you've got to be disciplined. And if you haven't been disciplined, you will be. Uh, and they'll help you walk through that process. We allow guys for the first four weeks, if they say, no way, man, I'm not doing this. After about four weeks, you kind of get a good taste of what it's like. Then we let, hey, you can drop, no problem. After four weeks, you don't have the right to do that anymore. You sign a contract, you don't, you don't. You have to talk to the guys and we'll work it through with you. And most often it's discipline. Most often it's choices, most often. Now, not always. Sometimes at work, you know, they just all of a sudden throw the big giant project on you that is just absolutely insane and there's no way you're going to be able to do this. I get that. That happens. Providence dictates at that point. But very rarely does that occur. Most often it's like, hey, let's shift this, let's shift this, let's talk about this, let's work this through with you. We're going to help you walk through this process. But it is an amazing, an amazing time. So I want to kind of go through a little bit of the history. Uh, and, and the PowerPoints don't really mean that much to me. And I'm probably going to make Josh uh, freak out and as he tries to follow along with me. But ultimately, what's that? I'm used to it, Chris. Oh, thanks. <laughs> it's a gift that I have. Josh and I go way back. Um, but it is an honor to be here. And, it, and I, it's an honor that you would go through this process. And you need to understand that we've told them Uh, They can change the process. They don't have to do it the way that we do it at FBC. We think that good training processes actually mold to the context that they're in. But we're trying to give them the clay. And the clay is something that has a history to it, which I'll try to explain to you a little bit right now. Um, So let me pray really quick. And some of you are still chewing. uh, So we'll we'll pray again. And then I want to kind of walk through some stuff with you and then take some questions. Okay, ask me anything. I have absolutely zero agenda. I am actually not intimidated uh, at all. I love this process. This is what God made me to do. 
And so I'm grateful that uh, you know, you're in that process. I think if every church in America that was solid started training its men in this fashion or some manner like this, we'd have a different situation in our country. Um, it's one of the missing elements. I was taught by my mentor. My mentor and friend is John MacArthur. Please don't hold that against me. I love the man. I know the man. I know his background. I was the youth pastor to his children. So I know him really well. And uh, he told me the one-two punch in ministry was preach the word, train men. And uh, I was beaten up by that. And so I've been doing that my entire life. Preach the word, train men. Preach the word, train men. And what train men means not send them to seminary. It means train men. It means come alongside men and have men be. And we have had laymen do amazing things. Uh, we have a lay guy went through the training process. He runs the entire Johnny and Friends for the, uh, the continent of Africa. Uh, he also, he and his wife are thinking about being missionaries over the night. I mean, these, these are amazing people. And all they needed was to kind of be freed up in the way that God intended them to be. Once they understood that, then all, all, all bets are off. They know what to say no to, and they know what, look, this is where I thrive. And when they thrive, you know what? They, sometimes they get tired, but man, they are happy. You've never seen more happy men and families at our church because they know exactly what God intended them to do, and they're just living it out, and they love it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that uh, you would encourage these men and these wives, and uh, thank you for them being here. We pray that many of them, most of them, all of them, would be able to go through this process at least the first year and be grounded in your word in a way where they look at ministry and they look at life and they look at the church and they look at everything through that lens, through the lens of your truth and your word. We pray, Father, that you would be glorified through that process and that you would blow us away, exceeding abundant beyond all that we could ask or think and what you'll do in their lives, in their homes, in their marriages, and in their families and in this church, and in the churches represented here. And we'll give you all the praise because you deserve it all. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, yeah. amen. So training center, basically, I was saved at 1974. That means I'm old. Um, a long time ago, I was 18 years old at that time. I was hired at Grace Community Church at 22. It was uh, John MacArthur's second decade at Grace Church, 79 to 89. I uh, was the junior high pastor, the college pastor, and then they demoted me to John's executive assistant. Um, it was a demotion. And um, I was trained guys for ministry. Interesting enough, uh, in that process, a guy named Chris Hamilton uh, was there, and he was a lay guy. He was sharp. Uh, I got a lot of criticism for taking lay guys over seminary guys because the seminary had just started. And I said, no, these guys are awesome. Well, Chris Hamilton is now the chairman of the board of Grace Community Church. Rod Shackelford became one of my best elders. He moved to Arizona, and he's uh, run away from the faith right now. I'm just kidding. I, so, so, sorry, that's not true. So I miss him. I miss him a lot. Uh, I do. Um, he's a you know incredible guy. Um, and then uh, I uh, had the privilege of teaching as the Master Seminary in its very first year, first two, three years. I was uh, taught the senior theology class, which was the ordination practicum which is preparing them for ordination. And uh, I was given some directives by Irv Busnitz, if you know that name. He's uh, the guy who kind of runs the curriculum and et cetera at the seminary now, and he's about to retire. And his, his son, Nathan, is now in the same role. But uh, Irv said, look, I want, you to, I want you to teach the Bible, but I want you to do it consecutively. And I want you to make sure that they remember it, not little sing-songy rhymes and little agendas so they can memorize it and then forget it later. I want you to beat it into their soul so that they would remember it for their entire life. 
I want you to repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. I want you to go through the, you know, he gave me all these directives. Well, I took that challenge up as a, a very young man and, um, and uh, through the process uh, invented uh, the year one of the training center, which basically is walking men through a wall, what they need to know to be ordained for ministry. So really what you're getting in the first year is an ordination process uh, where you're competent enough to be able to answer any question theologically, biblically, etc. You kind of know the Old Testament, the New Testament, and it's in a process that we've worked through and refined uh, year after year after year. And you're, you're, you're uh, uh, in a sense, seminary trained in that sense of being, I understand the Bible in the context of ministry. You want to be in any situation, you would know what to say, what not to say. Sometimes we talk about what not to say in a situation, what verse not to throw on people because they're too tender at that particular time. We walk that through with them. Anyway, so that's where it started. I did that up in Spokane, Washington uh, for, for many, many years. I went through the year, we called it Doctor of the Book at that time, walking through that process. And then um, when I went to Arizona, I was freed up to be able to do uh, year two and year three and develop a, a year that would and focus on shepherding and training for eldership. And then not just for eldership, but just shepherding and training what an elder is. Most guys start year two <clears throat> thinking, hey, I could be an elder, no problem. They end year two going, I'll never be an elder. <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> And they, they understand the full weight of it. And, and it's not training them to be elders. It's actually training them to understand the role of shepherding and how you minister to people. And so it's a pastoral theology type of process. We also teach them Greek and we teach them how to exposit. So at some point, they're no longer dependent upon a commentary to know that it's an accurate interpretation. That's our goal. Not to make you seminary trained in the sense of uh, the exactness of scripture, but you'll be able to look at the text and go, you know what? That guy's all wet. He missed the point of the text. I can look at that now and know that. And that's our goal is to make you that discerning and then the third year is development of uh, philosophy of ministry and direction and leadership, etc. So we've been doing it since 2006 in, um, at FBC, uh, Faith Bible Church. And uh, it's, a, it's been a wonderful process. It's a process that's a part of now our church family. Uh, the amazing thing is that um, it has dramatically altered our church. Uh, we, we at our church, um, we take the Lord really seriously. We don't take ourselves seriously at all. Uh, but we love, we love the fact that men are really happy in their homes, in their marriages, in their families. Uh, it's a lot of work, but it's an amazing to see all these happy, content people. Plus, anybody comes to them and they go, you know, want to start an issue. You know, they want to be disunified. They want to be edgy. They don't like something about Foothill Bible Church or they don't like something about Summit Bible Church. It's interesting on the patio, there's so many TC guys that they'll go, oh, uh, Chris, he's a jerk. And they go, okay, you figured that out. That's good. <laughs> so what's your deal? And they'll immediately address it. It goes nowhere. It's just, it, it makes the church strong. And it makes the church, in a sense, unified. You realize that we're all different and we all have a part to play. We have all have a part to put Christ on display and together we can put him on display better than we can individually. And we all have, in a sense, a calling to fulfill that Ephesians 2.10 uniqueness that we have to basically minister in this world. If you work at McDonald's, you get the McCall. But if you're doing the training center, you get the call. That was supposed to be funny, but it didn't work. So, okay, X that joke out. Uh, and understand that, uh, does everybody have the sheet now? You kind of walk through the paper. So training itself, 
I want to give you the kind of the application. So that's next up on the slide there. I think it's next. Um, and that would be that the, the biggest issue will be time and faith uh, for you and your family. At first, ladies, it's going to feel a little bit like my husband's not here anymore. Um, and I'm talking to him, and yet he's thinking about verses, and I don't get that. Um, and I'm looking at him, and of course, you already get that now because he's thinking about other stuff, and now he's just going to be thinking about the Bible. But understand, um, we're going to be talking to him almost every week. I want you to, ladies to know, almost every week, and, and Art and the guys who've been through it can con- confirm this, we challenge them on how to love their wives better. Uh, we know that if it doesn't fly with you, it's not going to fly. If, if four weeks into it, he turns into a jerk, uh, then you're not going to want him to continue in that process. So we know that he's got to work at his marriage. And we think that that's one of the keys to Christian marriage is working at your marriage. That's it. Just working at it. Not that you're perfect. Not that you have it all together. You just keep working at it. If you keep working at it, you're going to get better at it. So you get better at it, then God blesses. So we really challenge them to be better men in that process and uh, that we're going to meet once a week. Uh, it's going to take the whole evening. You know, don't be pressing them to, you know, come home early because before class and after class, we're, there's a lot of stuff that's going on. This is a mentoring process, discipleship. There's a lot of discussion. If he's struggling with one of your kids, you know, he's going to be talking to Micah, to Art, to other people going, hey, how do I do this? You're going to have all these resources pouring into your home that you don't even aware of. That, but because they're going to talk to you about their kids. They're going to talk about, you know, I, I'm, um, I'm, I'm messing up. I'm too impatient and, and I'm not being the man that I'm supposed to be. You're going to get more of a Christ-like man as a result of this process. You're going to want this process, but it's going to be a little bit painful at times and there'll be struggles and he'll be somewhat preoccupied from time to time. And so you're going to want to free him up as best you can, you know, and you're going to want to make this a part of your discussions at the table. If you have older children, let them drill daddy, at, you know, with all the verses around the table. Uh, make it a, something that you guys do while you're laying in bed. Just go through some stuff, uh, you know, go through the process with them, own it with them. As you do, it will enrich your whole life. We're going to prepare them for, in a sense, an ordination where they're ready Bible theologically and practical theology. And uh, we're going to hopefully give them a sense of a library uh, that they're going to have for the rest of their lives as well. Uh, A sense of that they're going to have a stability of where to go and how to find things in the scripture, etc. But also, how many of you would openly admit you've never been discipled? Can I see your hands? Anybody? Never been discipled? It's okay. It's okay. Put them up. I see one hand sort of coming up and then nobody did it. How How many have been discipled? Okay, how many have discipled someone? Okay, this whole process of discipleship is intentional relationships for the purpose of growth. It's actually intentional relationship for the purpose of the gospel and growth, but it's intentional. The training center is intentional. So you're not only being discipled by the leaders who are leading the process, but you're going to be discipled by one another. Because true discipleship is with the body of Christ. And so everybody's inputting into everybody. And by the way, men, if you're that guy, you're the type A guy, you can't make a mistake. This is, this is going to be so fun because you're going to make lots of them. And you're going to find out what it means to be type A and, and the damaging that it's done to your psyche and soul. Okay? So understand, the training center is not based upon you being perfect and having all the answers. We get nervous when everybody gets 100%. Really nervous. It's supposed to be a process of growing, and a lot of times when you share your answer and you're dead wrong, 
That's the best answer you could give because you'll never do it again. You'll never do it again. I could tell you exactly the, on the ordination, when my ordination, the one question that I missed. I'll never forget it, ever, my entire life, ever, because it was the one that I missed. You understand? Making mistakes is how we learn, correct? And so this process, so if you're ready to be humbled, if you're ready to be humble and you initiate that process, it's a good thing. If you're not ready for that and you want a personification, listen, we have had multiple men come from our church, to our church who have been elders at other church. Multiple. And then they sign up for the training center. They take the opening 25-question exam, and they're massively humbled by getting two answers right. And there weren't, they weren't difficult answers. You know, where do you talk about being filled with the Spirit? Uh, where do you talk about, you know, when this situation or parenting in the, in the, in the New Testament? And, and it's like, all of a sudden, you, you realize that you learn a lot of Bible, but you didn't learn it in a way that it actually you could help anybody with it. You just learn the latest controversy or you're into that. And sometimes with theology, it's like a smorgasbord. We kind of pick and choose what we want. But what we want to see is our theology come out of the Scripture. And we want to see our answers come from the Scripture into everyday life. And so we begin to force you to begin to own that process. Does that make sense? So we're walking that through with you. Um, our aim is to help you understand the way God made you, your sovereign calling, and uh, we, we, I don't know if you guys will be doing this, but we take our guys to the Shepherds Conference first year, and then we take them to another conference the second year, and we take them to a third conference the third year. The third conference is usually one that's a little bit, little bit off-center. Okay, that's scary, I know, for some of you. It's, it's not heretical. It's just not our camp because we want guys to learn how to deal with people who don't always agree with them and learn how to be gracious and learn how to sit down and walk through things with them. Does that make sense? It's all about training. It's all about experience. It's all about grounding you in the scripture. So the basics on leadership training questions, which is the next slide, is the preparation, modeling, practice, evaluation of ministry within the local church. Uh, training is not preaching at you. Training is not teaching at you. Training is preparation. It's modeling for you. It's practicing that truth and evaluating that ministry. You know, when Jesus, in Mark chapter 6, he actually sent his guys out two by two. And if you read Mark, Mark chapter 6, at the end, they actually come back together and he gives them a debrief. They talk about what they learned. It's exactly what we do in the training center. We go to a shepherd's conference, they go to a seminar, we come back and go, what'd you learn? You know, we give a debrief. We're always doing that. We're doing that in the context. The Lord did that. He trained his men. He gave them opportunity. Those men turned the world upside down. We feel the same way. We want the men out of the TC to turn the world upside down. And that's everyday average guys like you and me. Uh, training is commanded in the scripture. Obviously, you know that. Training is what moves knowledge into lifestyle. Uh, in other words, it, all of a sudden you realize it. Um, let me help you understand training maybe in a more uh, practical way. Uh, Green Bay Packers, you know, greatest football team ever. I'm not talking about current football right now. I'm talking about what it used to be in the past when it was pure and not political. So Green Bay Packers, greatest team arguably in the world, owned by the city. They're pure. They're pure. Okay. Uh, I grew up watching, this is how old I am, Vince Lombardi wipe out everyone. Okay, uh, that's why they call it the Lombardi Trophy. All right, it's Vince Lombardi, one of the greatest coaches ever was. Uh, I love coaching. I love watching coaches. And uh, an amazing thing, you know, they would run six plays and they do it so many times that they, they just kind of read each other, etc. 
But interesting enough, if I gave you the Green Bay Packer playbook and you then memorized all the plays, would that make you a great Green Bay Packer? Yes or no? No. no. That's the problem. Our view of training is just give me the information and I got it. That's a Greek way of thinking. Hebrew way of thinking is you got to drill, you got to work out, you got to run. Until you can do it, you haven't gotten it. So we're training you to do ministry. We're training you to do ministry the way God made you to do it. So it's more than just the playbook. That's the whole year one content is the playbook. We're giving you the playbook, but we're working you. We're drilling you. We're going through it with you. We're making you own it, making you own it, making you repeat it, making it so that when you go home, you can talk to your wife about it. You can talk to your kids about it. You can talk to your neighbor about it. You can talk to other people in the church about it. When you lead a small group, when you lead a, a large ministry, when you do your Bible study, you can walk through ministry with people because you understand the scripture. It's more than just the playbook, nor more than just having the answers. It's knowing what to do as the Spirit of God directs you. It's knowing what to do, what to say, what not to say, and how to and and your passion in that process. So that's what we're hoping to do in this process is to walk you through that and allow you to be the way God made you to be. So you find yourself in situations where you're flourishing, and you're you know and that doesn't mean that you know you walk, see somebody in need now that you know that that's not your gift. You kind of spit on them and walk by. Okay, we're all serving. We're all serving all the time. But they're the way you give your life to. And where you join ministry to is the way that God made you. Does that make sense? So we're always telling you, and if you go, I don't know what that is, Chris, that's good. So we always tell the guys, you got to be in ministry. So training center requires you to be in ministry. We don't care in the first year what ministry, just every week you're in the same ministry. Handing out bulletins, whatever, I don't care. doesn't matter, just minister. But we also try to tell you when you get an opportunity to do a one-day thing or a one-week thing, try to, if you can do it, do it because it's also helping you discover the way you're made. Does that make sense? So always one stable ministry, but then trying others. By the year two, we're wanting you to lock in in a ministry where you're shepherding or discipling someone, you're investing into other people's lives, because that's part of that process that we're training you to do. And that's what ministry is, investment into people. Now, if you're here and you hate people, um, then, then you either need to repent or you need to not be in the training center. Because ministry, that's what ministry is, is people. And you may not be the, the exuberant personality. You could be very quiet, very subdued, very shy, but yet a people person who loves people. Uh, we all function differently in ministry. So I never actually ever write anybody off. I always look at them as a gift. If they're saved, they're a gift. And they're uniquely able to put Christ on display in a way that you'll never be able to do it. And when they find that out, you see more of Christ. And when everybody begins to display that at Foothill Bible and Summit Bible, then all of a sudden you see more Jesus. And people go, man, what's different about this church? That's what people, they, honestly, I'm not boasting. People come to our church, they go, what is different about this? They don't get it. And it's just people happy in Christ, doing exactly what God called them to do, and they're freed up, they're secure in the way God made them. And, and people go, I don't get that. They're not intimidated by people, they love people, and they just roll through life. It's, it's incredible. So I want that for you as well, your own personally as well as your churches that are represented here. And the guys that are stepping up to train you, they are on it. They are on it. I mean, I know Micah, I know Art, I know Morgan, and the guys that are going to be training you are in this mix. They understand what this is about. They're not going to be lecturing you. They're going to be going through stuff and making you own it, making you give the answers, making sure that it's yours, not theirs. Does that make sense? And then here's the secret. They're going to grow like crazy too. 
you're going to have a different Micah by the end of next year. And Art, he needs to be different. Okay? And uh, so. And Morgan is the personification. Mor Morgan is amazing. So training is not a class. It's not a class. Okay? It's discipleship. Everybody understand discipleship. And say this with me. Intentional relationships for the purpose of growth. Say it. Intentional relationships for the purpose of growth. It's intentional. Now, what happens, does Micah disciple you on Sunday mornings if you're at, at uh, Foothill? Yes, he does, uh, because you're intentionally here, but it's not the same as someone meeting with one guy one-on-one -on -one or a group of guys. There's never a number associated with discipleship, never. You have done that. Navigators did that to us. Campus Crusade did that to us, but not the Bible. The Bible is intentional relationship. It could be three guys, it could be 100 guys, it could be five guys, it could be a whole church. Discipleship is intentional. I'm here to learn and grow and learn from each other. And what happens in that process, everybody grows. Everybody grows when it's intentional. And what happens is, is we have people who are just afraid of relationships, and that's why they don't disciple. They're afraid of it. They want to stay distant. Why do we have so much spectator mentality in churches? People are intimidated by other people. That's why. They're afraid. They're, they're man-frayed. You know? you know what I mean? The fear of man. They are. Once we get over that, we're going, you know, it doesn't matter. I'm a, I'm a scuzz. You're a scuzz. I mean, come on. <laughs> That's my theological term for totally depraved, and you have no ability at all. You are more sinful than you can even imagine, correct? Our biggest problem in theology is we're not low enough, and Christ is not high enough. That's our biggest problem in theology, is the tensions there. Listen, I know who I am. I'm graduated dirt, you know? I mean, I, I, I'm nothing. I'm a vessel. The only thing that ever, ever comes out of me that's any good for eternity is what Christ does. So it's the only thing that lasts. When you begin to really, really believe that, it frees you up. Because it's all about Him and not you, and you don't have to worry about what people think, and you just go, look, I just want to serve Christ. I just want to do it and get to heaven. You know, I want to get there, but I want to, I want to get there being as faithful as I possibly can and as useful as I possibly can. I want to be that tool, that vessel for the Lord. So that's what we're looking at, discipleship. So this process is a discipleship process. Everybody with me on that? I'm going to skip over a bunch of slides here now, okay? So keep going. It's not a curriculum. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a pancake breakfast. Uh, those are all really good. So I'm on page two of the notes now. All right, so catch up if you can, Josh. I'm skipping ahead. It's not a class. It's a church. Now, here's what's really cool is if you can get your church to be a part of this. Let me give you just one illustration. We have uh, community groups at our church. And community groups run by training center guys. And what they do is they, they go, oh, give me some training center guys. See, these are training center graduates. And they're like, give me some training center guys. Because they want to torture them. So what they do is they'll go, you can teach the, the community group for 20 minutes this coming Thursday night. And so they'll do that. And then all the 80-year-old old ladies will come up to him and go, your introduction stunk. Okay, and they'll walk through with them and help them to be better communicators because the church is now involved in this process of helping them improve. And, and we're beginning to listen, you know, to how people respond to you. Not everybody likes you in ministry. Have you noticed that? <laughs> Some people don't click in ministry. That's okay. But if they can join up to someone and it's not all about me and it's not all about Micah, it's not all about Morgan, it's not all about art especially Josh, then, then we're good to go, okay? Everything works because they can connect with somebody else and grow through some, that, that process, but we're all engaged in that process. 
So understand, it's, it's not a class. Uh, it's, it's, it's not the, the playbook only. It's this total process of men ministering to men, leaders ministering to those men, the church ministering to those men. That's why we encourage guys to have six to eight prayer partners, not just their family praying for them, but people in the church who are praying through the process with them. They're really undergirding them in this, and we'll ask you guys through that process, I hope. Uh, training is basically, next slide, based on truth and relationship. So let me help you to understand the distinctions here. Um, at our church, this would help it in our context, and maybe it'll give you some feel for where yours would be. A lot of this is coaching. So what Morgan, Micah, Art, and those guys who are leading this process and Josh are going to do, they're going to coach you. Anybody, if you've been in team sports, you know what coaching is. Everybody knows that, right? They yell at you when you do something wrong. Uh, they cheer you on when you do something right. And they're constantly affirming this process. And we have different coaches at our church. Every one of these guys is different. And they're going to give a different flavor. Some of you will like one over the other. That's okay. Yeah, just like in coaching. Um, I'm the guy that uh, I like to put guys into a little bit of tension, then give them the answers. I like, I like struggle and then answers. I got guys on my, on my staff who don't like to let you uh, have answers. They just want you to struggle. Uh, and they'll ask a question and make you suffer for hours uh, and days until you, you know, work it out. I can't stand that kind of coaching, but it works for a lot of guys. So, but understand, that's the process. But at our church, we have level one. Um, outreach events. We just do evangelism for men. So we have men's events where we shoot guns and we have meat to eat. We don't have salad. We don't have forks, just meat. Okay. And then level two would be our community groups. And they're all based on, they sound like Bible studies, but they're actually discipleship centers. Uh, their, their, their main goal in community groups is people being discipled, discipling one another intentionally. Uh, because we, we, uh, we really value that and believe that's one of the missing means of grace for the church today. Uh, le level three, we stabilize people in theology. That's both women and men. By the way, this works for women as well in our church. So we'll have special classes like men of the word, self-confrontation, equipping, etc. Level four for us is the training center. That would be training and ministry. So we've already got discipleship as a base, outreach as a base, and stabilizing them in theology and, and the, the scripture. Now, now we're training them and saturating them in ministry. Above that or alongside of that is like our interns, our residents, our internationals that we invest in at varying times. And then there's seminary training and then post-seminary training that goes beyond that. So we have different levels of training. I'm just trying to help you understand that this is geared toward equipping you to be a minister for Jesus Christ for the rest of your life. To do exceeding abundant beyond all that you could ask or think and to actually be competent in the way that God made you. That's, that's the, the goal of this. It's a three-year process. Everybody can go through year one. It's like a pyramid. It's very broad the first year. Second year, a little more narrow. It's like, I want to learn how to be a shepherd. I want to shepherd people. I want to disciple people. I want to understand the ministry at that level. Third would be, I want to lead ministry. I want to understand how to direct ministry, a philosophy of ministry of why, what, how we do it. And all of that is still based on the home. It's based on languages. It's based on the scripture. It's very deep. It's very uh, sweet process. Has a lot of parallels to seminary training. Uh, it, a lot of parallels, but it's not done like seminary training at all. Uh, we, we, don't, we do not, ladies, ever, don't ever do this, don't ever violate this. We never, ever give assignments just for the sake of an assignment. Everything is purposeful. Every book you're given has been screened and well thought through. We don't give you a thousand books. We give you the best books. 
and we say, these are the books we want you to read. It's very intentional, very intentional. We never overwork you. Seminary overworks you just for the, read 5,000 pages. What? I don't care. Toilet paper. I don't, just read it. We're like, I don't want to do that. It's dumb. And, and it's a good discipline, uh, you know, and it tells you what's there. I, I, you know, I loved my seminary training, but, but at the same time, there were books that I went, no one should ever assign this book ever again. <laughs> and I did that even in my doctoral program. I go, don't ever, 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 ever assign this book again, because this is dumb. Every position on here was wrong, every single one. I said, this served no purpose except to make us read a book. Don't do that. That's dumb. None of that happens in the TC. Everything, every book you have, you keep in your library. And every book is, even if it's a bad book, it's intentionally bad. Does that make sense? So you have to wrestle with it. So everything's intentional so in that process, okay? Uh, the target, again, is your sovereign calling. Everybody got that? Your sovereign, the way God made you. Those two verses I say, Ephesians 2.10 and Acts 13.36, you know, David fulfilled his purpose. You have good works beforehand that you should walk in them, right? We're trying to help you find out what those are. Ask any seminary grad, and I would guarantee you 75% of them can't answer that question. They still don't know, and that's wrong. Everyone should know how they're built. We're not going to make you. We don't make you into anything. God's already designed what he wants you to be. We're just trying to figure that out. Does that make sense? It's a total reversal. We don't make you into an elder. If you're an elder... It will be obvious. The Bible tells us in Acts 20, the Holy Spirit appoints elders. God made Jeremiah a prophet. God made Paul, and he tells you that, into the guy that wants to plant, you know, where, where the, the word is not ever, and churches haven't been planted and established. Are you getting with this with me? It's his process. We're trying to figure out what his process was, so we go through this process together. Um, it's not traditional. Uh, it's not going to be... It's not gonna, uh, there, there's going to be... Uh, uh, some hip hip hypocrisy, I think, in this process, because we're going to say, "Do better, do better." You got to do 80%. At the same time, we're going to go, "Points don't matter." Okay. What we want is for you to learn, but we're going to expect you to get 80% on your exams. Uh, and we do exams when we first start out, and then you do papers, and then you do oral presentations, and then after that, it's just kind of a variety of papers, presentations, and projects and stuff like that through the course of this time. But again, your time together is the practice field. You're going, getting ready for the big game. So when you leave class, you should be ready to minister. Now, the greatest thing that happens in the training center, and again, multiple things happen in husbands and wives, but you'll run into people and they'll just happen to be going through the issue that you just wrote a paper on. It, this will happen. And you'll go, oh my goodness, I'm competent to answer this one. And, and instead of going, talk to Micah, You'll, you'll be going, you know what, the Bible has, and let me, let me walk this through with you. We make a covenant. Uh, we do. Once guys sign up for the training center at FBC, our FBC, <laughs> they can't ever say, you go talk to Chris. They can't ever say, go talk to John, go talk to one of the elders. They, they're not allowed to say that anymore. They're saying, okay, let me walk this through with you. And if they need help, they can say, well, I'll have Chris come alongside and I'll do it together. But you're now in the work. Does that make sense? You're in the work. And so therefore we want you to walk it through. And, and then when you f feel like you're like, okay, I'm, um, I'm drowning here, right? I'm not sure where to go with this. Then you, you call us up or you come alongside and we meet with you with that person. Does that make sense? So we're, we're walking that process through. So it is a graduate level. It is very much uh, in the East Coast. They tried this, it changed everything. 
they had 80% failure and 20% kids graduating from high school. They did the flipped classroom. The flipped classroom is the training center educational process, which is you do all your work outside the classroom. When you come in, you do all your homework and all your wrestling with the issues in the classroom. Once they did that on the East Coast, they called it the flipped classroom, it, it, it actually flipped the statistics. Instead of now 80% failure, 20% success, they have 80% success and 20% failure with difficult students because the process is much superior educationally. Does that make sense? It's we're working it through, we're wrestling it through together. When we do that, students own it. Well, it's, it's the same way. We learn all differently, but we, we, we learn better in that kind of training process. Um, engagement in ministry is absolutely essential. Uh, in other words, this is not the time for you, okay, I was doing a small group and now I'm gonna retire from that and just do the training center. No, no, no. You do your ministry, whatever that ministry is, and it can, be, it can be simplistic ministry for the first year, but you need to be serving, giving out, because we're teaching you to minister. So therefore, you need to be ministering. Does that make sense? So that's another thing, too. You don't want to be hiding yourself away. You want to be actually engaged with people and practicing this. Now, if you have three-year-olds, that's going to be difficult. But understand, you know, they, they just need a certain kind of encouragement, um, both negative and positive. Let's not go on down to spanking. Okay, so <laughs> basically, hopefully, Foothill, as you and Summit, as you begin to enter into this process, will become more and more of a training environment for the men themselves. Um, the church needs to be used to train men. So page three on your notes. I'm moving very fast now. Just want to highlight some main things, and that is this. Every aspect of your life is involved uh, we used to have guys go, hey, train me in discipline or train me in this or train me in, you know, being a better this or a better that. Um, that sounds really good, but this process actually, th Jesus didn't do that. He lived with his men, did he not? Every element of their lives was on the docket, every single one. And we feel the same way about, about training, training every element. And you, you say, well, I don't want anybody to know that I don't have a budget. Well, that's okay. People will know. But we're in an environment where we don't kick people around or, or make them feel stupid. We're going, okay, get a budget. Let's do it. Let's go through it together. Let's be a better steward of your finances. Does that make sense? Uh, you, we're, we'll learn stuff about you, but that's okay. Uh, you're going to learn stuff about me or you're going to learn stuff about Micah, and you're going to be frightened. I don't know if I want to go to this church anymore. So, <laughs> and, and that's a deal that we make too. It's like, look, you could hurt me in ministry. I tell the guys, you could hurt me in ministry because I'm going to tell you, you know, when I blow up, when I'm impatient, etc., I'm going to tell you everything. Because I can't help you unless you see that I'm in this process too. I can't. So I'm going to tell you this stuff, but your covenant is, look, you got a problem with me, come to me. And I, I guarantee you, I will hear you. I will repent. Uh, or I'll just say, you figured it out. I'm that way. You know, that kind of stuff. We'll just go through it together. But I'll, same thing with you. But everything's on the table. It's a different environment, but it's a safe environment. Because the, the environment is not that you are perfect. The environment is that we grow. We just change. We grow. That's it. So every element, your, your understanding of scripture is usually everybody's forefront. But what about your commitment to Christ? How does that manifest in, the, in your workplace? How does that manifest in your playtime and the way you drive your boat? You know, that kind of stuff. Or the way you drive your car. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> Character. Are, are you honest about your bents? You know, the, your weaknesses. What are your weaknesses? Do you know what they are? You should know what they are so you know how to prevent them. You know how, what to do about them. Your chemistry. Do you get along with other people? Maybe you're the edgy guy. You know, every, everybody you're, every group you're in, it's always, a, oh, man, edgy, ew. you know, and you figure out how to do that. We, we would take guys, honestly, we had young men 
who couldn't look you in the eye when they shook your hand. And because they, they just grew up in a, such a horrific home, they never had any training socially, so every element was on the docket. And we'd go, Kevin, look me in the eye. And then, you know, now Kevin is like, you know. I, I just, I, I literally, this week, ran into him at Panda Express, and he came up, hey, you know, and I'm like, this is a totally different guy. Because he just said, you know, he overcame those social barriers that came from his weird youth, but he learned how to get along with other people. Uh, compassion. Are you, you know, truthful, but also gracious? Or are you just, are you on the grace issue, are you more gracious or truthful, or are you more truthful? Most people in churches like ours were real truth-driven and not so gracious. But some of you are compassionate and uh, you, you could err on the side of compassion. So we're trying to learn what Jesus was in John, uh, you know, John 1... 14, Jesus came full of grace and truth, right? He was full of grace, full of truth. So we're truthful, but gracious, gracious, but truthful. And we learn how to do that. And controlled, you're disciplined. Uh, one of the biggest struggles that I have in the training center is I'll run into guys with mega talent. Okay, so I'm going to use him because he let me share this with you. He's an elder right now in Hawaii Kai Church in, uh, in uh, Oahu, Hawaii. It's a friend of mine. His name is Josh Gumbert. Josh Gumbert has more talent, uh, more giftedness than most guys that go through the, the training center. And Josh's papers were horrific. Uh, Josh's scores on exams were like dirt. Uh, Josh, Josh was a lazy slug. Uh, I, I just, I used to want to choke him and bash his head over and over again. I'm going, you've got all this talent and you're just, it's like, uh, you know, Niagara Falls without a hydroelectric plant. Nothing to harness the energy, you know. He had all this stuff. Well, you know what? He toned it up just enough to pass and and now god is using him he is the elder i mean he's the guy that comes alongside the teaching pastor of that church and they're close friends and he and and the teaching pastor uh, dan wong depends on josh and he is a super competent guy and a dear dear close friend but i'm telling you the, the frustrating process of learning and growing learning his weaknesses etc that's part of this process and, and God will shock you as to he'll use the, the, the weird guy in your class, you know, the guy who's different. And all of a sudden he'll be the, the next guy to influence all kinds of things, you know, nation changers. So it's going to be a, a whole process of learning self-control, confessing, being honest about what you're battling with, etc. Training, obviously, we're going to do different styles. Nothing is ever the same. So every week when you're going to fall out of routine. Uh, but it's going to go through a process where we emphasize a lot of the main priorities of the scripture. Uh, let me give you a couple of them again. Um, you would agree that the great commandment would be very important, would you? That you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second commandment is what? You know, you know how many guys that are, I, I, I teach seminary classes, that, that actually don't love people? And I keep telling them to get out of the ministry. Because they don't love, all they love is the Bible, which I'm glad for that. They love Jesus, that's, but they don't care about people. You can't be in this process and not love people. You got to learn how to, that second commandment. Does that make sense? So we emphasize that a lot. And you got to learn how to do that and learn it when they bite you. Sheep bite. You know, they do. <laughs> you know, savage. Um, they'll do things to you. And you know what? It's, it's interesting. If you love them, they, they bite less. Uh, they still bite, but they, they bite less. Um, and it's interesting enough, and we usually get along. And then sometimes they actually come back and say, I'm sorry I bit you, which is amazing. 
Um, you go through that process together with them. But we're going to emphasize those main things. We're going to emphasize God's glory, His character being on display. Uh, you're going to emphasize, obviously, the Great Commission, which, which is making disciples, which is just as much in play today as it was back then. It says, until the end of the age, which means that intentional going, baptizing, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. What you're trying to do is to have every aspect of your life come under the authority of the Word of God. Every aspect. So all of a sudden, and you're going, well, gosh, there's a lot of areas that need a lot of work. Yep, join the club. We're all in it together, are we not? Listen, we're not in heaven yet. That's when we're perfect. And right now, we're not. And every day, you're battling with sin. The question is, is love covers a multitude of sins. If it's intentional, we got to confront it. But other than that, we move on. It's not that big a deal. It's not that hard to figure out. And so we want this process to help grow you and to help make you enrich your marriage, enrich your children, to enrich your ministry, to enrich the church of Jesus Christ, and to see what God can do with men who say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. I'm available to you. And that's really what this is all about. It's saying, Lord, use me. Use me in any way you can. And I'm, I'm telling you, you will be blown away. You have that heart. You will be blown away what God will do. He will open up doors for you that you never even thought possible. I watch guys, they don't all stay at our church. And we're actually okay with that. I know it's, it's painful, but we're okay with that because they go out and they rock the world for Jesus. And these are lay guys who are just now being used. Some of them end up, you know, getting, uh, uh, affirming their call to ministry and then they go on to seminary training, etc. And, uh, and it's incredible to watch that as well. But I'm just saying, let me encourage you by saying we, we've been blown away. I think you'll be blown away. So I, I think I'm supposed to take questions, right? I'm, I've just rushed through it and I've rambled here and there and forgive me for that. I want you to know that it is an honor to be here. I'm so excited for you. Um, we, we do have a deal with any time we share the, the material. And the deal is this. Uh, don't, please don't publish it and say it was yours. That's that we, we ask you not to do that because I'm going to do that because um, it's mine. Um, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, we're going to try to make it available to more churches. But secondly, is that if you improve upon it, just send us the improvements. That's the deal we made. And you know what? There's a church in San Diego that sent us an updated uh, walk through some of the Old Testament prophets, and theirs was way better than ours, and we put it right in. And so we're helping each other make this process work. Does that make sense? This is not about credit. This is not about, this is all about God using His Word to change lives and change churches. And so we're very excited to share it with you. And so thank you. So questions, anything, especially from the wives, anything. Come on, you can, oh yes, thank you. Thank you for being the bold, the first. They get an A right there. First, first four weeks, an A. Yes, go ahead. How can wives practically support their husbands? Good. Okay, so sometimes wives go through it with them. So they, they actually try to learn it with them, which uh, some wives love that, some wives don't. Um, some wives become the major drillers because they love, just love beating up on their husband. Okay, the wrong run. Sometimes they involve the family in that. Obviously prayer, obviously. And then also being creative in how to uh, work it through without being the nag. Um, just working through, um, you know, how to, how to best use their time. And a lot of times, especially with young children, you know, they, they need to be there. You know, they, they need to be engaged. So it's after the kids go to bed. 
you know, and, and then being disciplined with bedtimes and t up times and stuff like that. And uh, making sure that, you know, your Saturdays, if that's the day that you have, that, that that day is pretty sacred. So he does his work, you know, Monday nights and Tuesday nights and Thursday, Wednesday nights, that kind of thing, or early mornings, or if he has lunchtime. A lot of times it's creative. Um, there's a little flip projects on phone. What do they call that? The Quizlet on the phone, you can do, you know, all the time and, and uh, dinner times or meal times. If you have a family meal, that, that can be part of that should be maybe going through stuff. Let's quiz daddy, you know, again, and here's your 10 questions. Here's your 10 questions, you know, and the kids get to wipe daddy out. And so that kind of stuff. Um, like I said, a lot of wives actually go through it with their husbands. And so they, they try to learn as much as they can. And, and my wife, uh, I went to Israel with my wife. I was in seminary and taking a class over in Israel. My wife just took the class. She got an A, I got a B. I don't, I see, so I, yeah. she, she plays Jeopardy and I, I, I do Wheel of Fortune. So that's, you know, shiny blue objects and, you know, so. She goes to the museum and reads the plaques and knows them. You know, like for life, I go and look at the rocks, you know, so it's different. So anyway, so she's really smart, but she, she would, you know, yeah, go through it with me. I, I hope that's helped. What else? Anything? Guys or gals? Yes. Whoa, 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 yes. I'm just curious. What was the ordination question that you... <laughs> it was, uh, I forgot Nathan the prophet. I forgot. I, I couldn't. It's some, for some, I just drew a blank. Uh, they, they, what they decided to do at Grace Church, they, they decided to make my ordination the um, a Valentine event, Valentine's Day event. So they had a giant staff Valentine's Day with all the staff, all the wives, big banquet, whatever. And the highlight of it was my ordination. And it was just, I'm staring out at all my friends and I'm like, I can't remember Nathan. I knew I could do Romans backwards and Ugaritic, you know, but I couldn't do Nathan the prophet. So, yeah. Anyway, so I, yeah, I just forgot. And it just, it hit me and I, I, I went blank. It just, so, and MacArthur, he was evil. So uh, he, he just, he just kept going. He was trying to find the hole. So he kept going faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And finally I went blank. So it's his fault. So that's what I do. I, I'm the victim. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyway, what else? Come on, come on. You guys got to have questions, anything. Good. Someone else. Yes. Um, how many books do you say will finish by the... Well, typically, like in the summer, this before you start, there's usually three. Two of them are real basic Bible overviews. And then one of them is a hermeneutic book, which is the kind of the best written one by Zuck. Uh, and then when you get into it, there's usually a chart book and uh, uh, like a couple of... The, the first year is pretty conservative. It's like three books a semester four books a semester, that, and they're usually really good ones. And then by the time you get into second year, it kind of ramps up a little bit, um, and then we'll start building your library. And, and usually, uh, like for ladies, like second semester, uh, it's, it's Shepherding a Child's Heart. Anybody familiar with that book? Okay, it's probably got the single best chapter on discipline ever. And uh, it's just a really, really important uh, parenting book. Uh, and then Age of Opportunity, which is the follow-up for adolescence uh, by the Tripp Brothers. And so it's books like that, and then we're talking about that. We're talking about those elements of parenting within the context of the, of the, the class itself. But, um, yeah, so it's always really good books, except for the ones that we're trying to show you that there's an alternative view, that kind of thing. So does that, does that help you? So it starts 
pretty conservative. By the first year, you've got maybe eight books total. Uh, by the second year, there's probably maybe 20. By the third year, it's quite a bit more. So you're like I think the you read 13 books in one semester in the third year. Um, but it's it, there. You know, a lot of times you're surveying them and then you're focusing on certain key chapters. So right now that sounds daunting. But it, it, you, you get there. You get into the discipline of it. And then and as long as you're talking about it with your spouse and stuff like that, it's really, really helpful. Yeah. What else? Yes. Uh, do you have any point in time where the wives will come together just maybe for encouragement or if they have any questions amongst each other? Yes, we do. We actually try to, uh, at least once a semester, uh, one of the wives, we usually try to get all the wives together. Sometimes we have couples events that we do where all the husbands and wives get together, but we try to also get the wives an opportunity to, to actually uh, just dialogue with one another and dialogue with some wives that have gone through the process. So the great thing about what you have here is you've got Kim and you've got uh, Bree and, and you've got others that actually have been through the process and they can explain you know, a little bit of what their husband's going through and, and how they respond to it and react to it. So that can help a lot. But it's, it's uh, you know, uh, uh, we used to, <laughs> this is terrible. I, I have a warped sense of humor, can you tell? Um, but I used to tell the wives, look, if your husband's being bad, you tell me right away because we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. You know, we'll go, hey, you're, you're, you know, like he's disappeared into his closet and you don't see him anymore and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, what's going on here? You know, and he, he thinks he's the next Luther and all that kind of stuff. And <laughs> so... We just go, no, 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 no. That doesn't work. You know, you, you, you go, you love your wife. You know, you, you figure out how to do that. We talk about real practical ways of serving your family and serving your spouse. And by, honestly, by second year, we're actually say you, you have to take your wife out. And we, we tell them, and, and if they ask you, you can tell them, is this an assignment? But basically, their whole goal is to not talk about themselves at all, just to talk about you, just to listen to you, just to hear your heart, to try to get to know your heart. Because a lot of guys just don't do that anymore, you know. And uh, my view of Song of Solomon is that uh, the romance is actually biblical and it's also in marriage. Uh, we, we've got it reversed in our culture. All the romance and then you get married and then it's okay, we got to live, you know. And it's like, no, 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 it's supposed to be in marriage that we're cultivating this, you know, our relationship. So we're trying to just help guys to, to think differently, think biblically. Uh, so if they're, if they're being bad, then we, we want to know. You know, you got you to tell a wife. And if he gets mad at you, then we get mad at him for getting mad at you. So, yeah. Good. What else? Anything? Chris, tell can me. you talk about... Oh, Go sorry. ahead. Can you talk about what uh, a, uh, the factors may be involved that, that cause a guy to, to not continue in, the, in years two and three? Uh, what? personally or, you know... Yeah, I, everybody can do, do year one. Everybody. So year one is, is like what, what every church should be doing, which is just establishing you in the scripture. And, uh, and most people are, have incomplete training. No matter what church you went to, uh, they're usually not getting the totality of scripture and theology and really haven't thought it through. And a lot of people don't have positions on certain issues. And the reason really is not is one is they're embarrassed to actually admit that they've never studied it. And two, they really never studied it. So they, they haven't actually gone through the process of wrestling with it and saying, why, why do we have a settled position on this? 
Why would we believe in the cessation of these gifts? Or why would we believe that homosexuality is sin? Or why would, why would we do that? You know, why, why would we believe that there's a future literal kingdom and not just a, you know, so, some sort of king? Why would, we, why would we believe that? Well, we want to walk through, and it's not a smorgasbord of theology picking. It's like the scripture, if you, if you have a consistent hermeneutic, is going to result in a belief system. So, so that first year is really important. The second year, why you might not go on would be uh, that I just don't believe that I'm bent to be shepherding people. I should be a deacon uh, serving people, but not necessarily shepherding or discipling them, that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of our deacons have gone through first year, but they, they haven't gone through second or third, which is fine. Uh, and then typically it's providential work situation. I think that every guy would benefit from going through all three years, but it's not necessarily made for all every guy. It is a narrowing field. So if you're not a seeing yourself at shepherding, discipling, ministering to people at all, then maybe second year is not for you. First year for sure. But even at that, you're always going to be influencing people. So the question is, you can get better at it by taking a second year. That's why we always encourage guys. Uh, every once in a while, like if and I don't see any young men here, we, as this continues, you'll have young guys going, I want to go. And we like 18 year olds. No, it doesn't work. It's 20 year olds. They get enough life where they can actually start to apply some of this. And we've had, uh, we, we tried a couple of 18 year olds and it was like, nah, and they would even tell you, no, not, not good. So third year is uh, leadership. It's really stabilizing kind of who you are. It allows you to begin to understand ministry. So uh, my goal at, at our church, multiple, is that, you know, if I croak today on the way home, that they're going to be fine, which I think they will be. So that's my goal. The second goal is that um, I want them to be able to discern the next craziness. Uh, you know, I, we can define the current craziness and go, look, okay, it's through a philosophical lens, biblically, the why, the what, and the how, why they're doing what they're doing. And typically what happens is they elevate one attribute of God above all other attributes, which is a, a huge mistake, or they don't allow theology to remain in its tension. You know what I mean when I say that? Are you responsible for your Christianity, yes or no? Yes. Is God sovereign over your life, yes or no? Yes. How do you resolve that? You don't. You're responsible and God is sovereign, period, end of discussion. It, and, and Paul says that in Philippians chapter 2, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For God is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Okay, how do you do that right next to each other? But that's how it works out. So you're responsible. So in that element of third year, it's like you accepting the responsibility of going, I can discern this ministry and why, you know, this guy's really popular right now, but I can see the holes and where this is going. And, and that's what we want, is we want not just the current ministry, but guys to be able to discern in the future. We want guys to be able to go, no, 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 that's not good. And uh, help keep their church, you know, from going off the rails. And basically, it's just a consistent hermeneutic. It's a, I'm going to interpret the Bible in a normative way through the whole course of the Bible. So that's what determines our theology. What else? Did I answer the question? I don't know. Uh, yes. Your wife had a better question. Yes. I was curious. It's uh, both. Uh, sometimes it's, um, we don't usually have, you know, big 
kind of confess all kind of stuff. But by the second year, you write a paper on what, what's, my, what's my weakest sin, what's my favorite sin, what's my sin that I kind of gravitate to. And guys just are very open about what they're battling with. And we usually don't have women in the room, and they're working it through. And so it's, it's a, um, um, a process where guys are going, yeah, this is the one that is kind of my, that keeps me humble, keeps me dependent, keeps me reliant upon the Spirit of God, because I know that if I don't hang on, I'm going to get, you know, I'm going to crawl right back in there, that kind of stuff. So there, and a lot of times it's for open discussion. A lot of times it's for small group discussion. So it's, uh, it's not to scare anybody away, and it doesn't start that way. We, we get to know each other enough to know that it's a safe environment. So by the time you get to the middle of the second year, the second half of the middle year, we're actually in the second year when we go out to our conference, we're actually talking to each other about each other. Uh, by then we actually know each other. Does that make sense? But the first part of the first year and stuff like that, it's all just kind of getting to know each other. And then we begin to grow into it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And now at our church, we have a guys who've been through the process who come back in and mentor men through the process and that's just ongoing and so it's it's changed its very nature with us but we're we're real anxious to be working on that singular target of how they're built and what they should be doing and encouraging them and how's their home and keeping that strong and trying to guide them toward the right element of ministry we knew that this was a fit for josh when josh moved over here we knew that that wasn't like, oh, no, what's he doing? This is a mistake. It's like, oh, that, that job, perfect. It's perfect. That's what, he, that's what he's made. God made him to do this. Does that make sense? So it was, a, it was a real easy thing for us, even though we miss them and want them back. And, and you're rotten to taking them. So, <laughs> but, but you understand what I'm saying? We're, we're getting a guy where he needs to be, and that's what we rejoice in. And then they're used by God for his purposes, and that's, that's what makes it great. Um, but, but that part of that is that they know their bents and their weaknesses and their struggles, their doubts, their fears. When men face that, that's the true bravery. The true bravery is not, not having those. It's that I know that and I can still live and continue to function. Does that make sense? I'm not going to allow that to distract me from doing what God wants me to do because I'm not going to give a foothold to the enemy to, to keep me from my purpose. So. They have, they have to go through some of that. So it's a little painful, but again, that's part of growth, right? Is all of a sudden you see things about yourself and you're like, Ugh, you know, <laughs> okay, now I know that that'll always be with me. What else? Anything? Yes. Can you speak to uh, just time blocks? In terms of, I mean, we all learn differently. We all study differently. We all memorize differently. Yep. What's the, over the years that you've been doing this, what's the general time commitment, time blocks? Yeah, if how you're... Is it spent? How it, is it it's typically, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think the best way to answer that question is to say that you know, everybody's going to be different, like you just said. Um, and so we would say to some people, six hours. If you're used to an academic environment in the sense of the discipline of an academic environment, it's not academics, but the discipline of learning. If you've been away from college for a while, then it could be 10 hours. And it's usually, you know, a couple evenings or a couple mornings or some for some guys, it's two hours each morning and two hours each evening or, you know, whatever, how, however they break that up, whatever works for their home, depending on the age of their children and depending on their wife and how they function. You know, if uh, uh, 
you know, watching Star Wars once a week because you're you're just maniacs, uh, then you know you could work around that and you know have your movie night, um, or if you're Star Trek or whatever person, you know that something wrong with you, but it's okay. Um, so you know you you could still enjoy your 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 date night and your times and stuff like. You just have to be very intentional with how you use your time. Um, and most guys, you know, have gotten into a routine where it's it's this is my home and I'm relaxed and we have our routines and you have to this is something you're adding to your life um, you're not taking other things away and sometimes you're saying well I, I need to be able to take television viewing or this away or this hobby or whatever that is there, there's going to be some sacrifice in the process for sure and I've heard that you really should never go past 15 hours I don't know if that's black and white yeah, I think generally if you are in the first year if that's true of you that we should talk you know what I mean? I would say to the guys, once, once you get to that point where you're, you're killing it with 15 or something like that, then, then we, need to, we need to help you to be better at, at what you use, how you use your time. We may actually walk through and do it with them so that they can learn quicker. Uh, some guys learn better with partners. Well, we force partnerships in theology. Uh, we don't force it in Bible, but some guys need the, 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 just the accountability of another brother that's like, okay, are you on it? Are you on it? Let's go. Or they call each other up on the way to work, and they're going through it together, you know, that kind of stuff. You just, just be smarter. Work smarter, not harder. But if you, if you are, uh, that is very true. If you are exceeding 15, we usually tell guys that's not good. Uh, you're, you're maniacal. Or you're type A, and you're wanting to try to get that perfect score, and we think those guys are warped and sick. So... <laughs> What do you mean? What non negotiables mean? You better do this. You better not, like, don't, don't, uh, make sure you take care of your wife. Make sure you do your, make sure. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't minister, you can't do Micah's job, Morgan's job, an elder's job, and have a rotten family or have an unhappy wife. You can't do it. So, why should the training center be any different? Right? So, you need to, you know, uh, there's sacrifices in ministry. And uh, my wife and I are committed to doing what's right regardless. We just do what's right and trust the Lord. We do. At the same time, we're like, mm, okay, this, this can't go on forever. And we have to do some revamping to make sure that our relationship is good. Does that make sense? So we're constantly evaluating that. But we, we want your marriages to be better, not worse, because of this process. So that means we're going to send guys home and going, okay, you got to say this to your wife this tonight. You, can't, you walk in the door going, oh, man, that was hard. You do that for like five weeks in a row, they're going to go, get out. What are you doing that for? Get out. You know, you got to come home and go, honey, that was tough, but this is what I learned, this is what I learned, this is what I learned, and I'm learning this about me, and, you know, engage in the process. So we, we try to talk about how to talk to your wives, you know, and, and, uh, and making sure that you're focusing on that. So, um, no, you can't. You can't have your wife going, I hate this. That can't happen. Now she's going to go, this is a sacrifice, but I like what I see. That's what she should say. This is a sacrifice, but I like what I see. And I, I'm telling you, at our church, we have wives that are like telling their husbands, you are going into the training center. <laughs> because they see the fruit of it in other, in other marriages. And they're like, huh, honey, you're going. And in fact, one guy, Abraham, he had to step out. And, and she's like, yeah, but he's going back, okay? Because she wants it. She understands the, the, the long-term 
end result of this is a, a, a man of God, a, a guy who loves the Lord and wants to do what the Lord wants him to do, more so than when he started. You know, there will be growth. And hopefully you'll be thinking more like Christ and speaking more like Christ and serving more like Christ and living more like Christ. And that's our goal is to become like Christ. That's how we glorify him. And then in terms of, I mean, I get the perfectionist guys, the 100% score. Okay. Are there any particular pitfalls that you see? Yeah, don't get below late 80%. Actually, you could take the test in the Bible portion. You could take it multiple times until you get 80. So we, we make it not easy, but we make it where you can go through it and and, and basically, we just want you to have the material down so you're thinking those passages and you're seeing them in context. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, just general pitfalls. First year one guys, like we're all year one guys. Uh, what, do, what do guys typically do wrong? Uh, well, you already named one. They, they, go, they go for it, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, the, their, their family doesn't see them anymore. That's a big mistake. Uh, or they're, they're like, oh, I'm just going to do, I'm just going to live my life like the way I've been living it. And I'm going to, you know, I'm just at, you know, going out this one night a week. I'm like, that ain't going to work. You're going to have to make some adjustments along the way. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, and again, I, I love football, but I, 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 I didn't even watch Green Bay play in the last Super Bowl when they won. Um, just choices that you make. And I don't, I don't watch sports anymore. I just don't. It's not, I'm spiritual. It's just more like that's too much time. I don't play golf anymore because uh well when my kids were small i gave up golf because i wanted to be a dad because golf was demanding and then by the time i picked it back up i stunk so i was like forget it <laughs> my short game just went out the window totally gone gone um so does that make sense so you, so you make choices and i i don't reg how can you regret those choices oh i miss it so much i'm like wait eternity versus you know what what matters really what matters. I mean, we are so programmed to be entertainment and, you know, my heart relaxing, whatever. It's like, wait, I think there's much more to life than that. You know, to live is Christ. So if that's true for a believer, then maybe that ought to be manifested in the way that we make choices. And I, I'm, we're not unhappy and we don't do, we do fun stuff. I mean, we do lots of fun stuff. I mean, we flew over a volcano with the doors off the helicopter. We, we went down the Grand, all 170 miles of the Grand Canyon in a whitewater raft. My wife, at 60 years old. <laughs> if you knew my wife, you'd be going, that's a miracle, okay? <laughs> she hates dirt, number one, so we're camping. And number two, she's not into whitewater rafting. And we, we faced a 40-foot wall. You know what I'm talking about, a 40-foot wall? And whitewater rafting, that's a, 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 it used to be a, on the scale of whitewater rafting, a five, now it's a 10. It's that you go up and then you go down and you disappear for like 30 seconds. <laughs> and then you come back up. I mean, it's, yeah. And she did that because she loves creation. She loves creation and she loves Genesis. And, you know, if you show her an ark picture and it doesn't have dinosaurs on it, she spits on you. Okay, so <laughs> she is very much a biblicist in her creation. And so she loves that so much she wanted to go. And we and every corner in the Grand Canyon is spectacular. You turn the corner, you're like, oh, it's like traveling to the South Island of New Zealand. You know, it's oh, this is the most incredible scenery I've ever seen in my entire life. By the end of the tour, a week later, this is the most incredible scenery I've seen. You're almost <laughs> bored with incredible scenery. So all that to say, we do a lot of fun stuff. We just kind of our lives are focused on on the things of the Lord, you know. And so and I think that fits with everybody. You know, it's 
most guys that I know when they really grow in Christ, they're like, well, I do my job, but it's so I can provide for my income and it's, it fits me and et cetera. But really my passion is Christ and his work and his church. And I want to be you. That's probably why you're here. Most men that come a part of the training center are like, I, I know I got this job, but I really want to be useful for Christ. So that's what we're trying to do is, is just to facilitate that. Yes, ma'am. Going back to your wife, how possible would it be for her to have a conference here with the ladies? So we can hear the other perspective. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's funny. Um, uh, you, you would think of her. She, she actually is uniquely gifted. Um, she, she would not want to do that. And it's not because she doesn't like you or that she would have tons of things to say. She had a tons of things to say, but her passion is K-1. Um, and she disciples six women who minister with her in her class every year. It's always new women. And she has her influence that way. And it's incredible. I mean, she's legendary at our church as the K-1 lady. And we just allow our wives to do what they're gifted to do. I call her Mrs. Rogers. You've heard of Mr. Rogers? <laughs> this is Mrs. Rogers. When she speaks, no kidding, you want to grab a blankie and a graham cracker. <laughs> It's unbelievable. I mean, I watch her. I mean, I, I'm very bombastic. Can you tell? Well, with little kids, I've had to learn. She, she has that way. She talks to them, and they just kind of go. I mean, they're just hers. You know what I mean? So it's only because, like, Beth Plesnick could speak to that. She's one of our pastor's wives. We let our wives do what they're gifted to do. And so, Jean, if I mentioned that to her, she'd be going, I ain't doing that. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that because she loves that. So it's, it's not you. It's, please, just don't misunderstand. It's. It's that, you know, I have people come to me all the time. Where's your wife? She's not running the women's ministry. She's not leading the teen choir. You know, I'm like, she's in the class doing what she's gifted to do. So, you know, Beth would do that. Bree could even talk to that, you know. So there's other women who could speak to that, but not my bride. But thank you for that. It's a very kind thought. <laughs> yes. Uh, just curious, three hours every Monday, but we do the studying beforehand. You say you hammer it into us. I'm curious, like, what does that look like? Is it the same every week? I've heard we break up. I've heard we do. I'm just curious, like, what it's going to look like. Oh, that's a good question. So, yeah, you'll break up into groups sometimes. Uh, you'll sometimes stay together. You sometimes hammer it through. Typically, you show up for a meal uh, because we can talk about what's going on, you know, and guys usually talk better over a meal for some reason. Good discipleship. And then afterwards, we'll talk as well. So it's usually longer than the three-hour class. And then, and then the class basically goes in where we're reviewing everything. So we review everything. So we'll go through, you studied Genesis, say. So we're walking through Genesis. We're talking about it beginnings. We're talking about the creation account. We're talking about why we would be seven, six-day creationists, why we're 24-7, six literal days, why that, uh, the foundation of that, what are the main issues in that. So we'll talk a lot about theolo theologically, why that has to be that way. We don't have death before the fall. And so we'll talk about that. We'll talk about expositionally, chapter one, you have to actually murder chapter one to make it say anything other than six days. You really do. Hermeneutically, I mean exegetically, you have to murder it to make it say something else. And then you got the rest of the Bible. It's not just Genesis one. You got other portions of the scripture referring to a six day creation. And so therefore now, now the whole Bible is now suspect if you throw that out. Does that make sense? And then theologically, if you say that it's been all this death and whatever, and then, you know, dinosaurs killing each other, and then, you know, you know, Lucy the ape and all that kind of junk, and all growing up, and then you've had all that death before the fall, but then the Bible says that death came as a result of sin, not as a result of an evolutionary process. Does that make sense? So theologically. So we'll, we'll talk about those main issues, 
walk that through. We'll talk about Genesis 12 and Abraham, and we'll walk that through and talk about what's the significance of this, what was Israel's purpose. They were trying to dispense the truth that leads to faith. They were trying to be, in, in a sense, the way the church is to dispense the gospel. They're there to dispense the true knowledge of Yahweh, you know, in the midst of all these pagan cultures. And Abraham was sent to be that. And so we'll walk through that. We'll walk through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and through the rest of the book. We'll talk about those, the flood and, and early elements of understanding the flood, etc. Does that make sense? Yeah. So we'll walk that through and we'll, we'll, we'll review that. And then we'll ask you questions. And then we'll say, okay, now defend that. And then we'll walk through the entire Old Testament. And we'll say, okay, break up with your partner now, right now, and go through the entire Old Testament. Use the chart right now that we've given you. So you use the chart, but after a while, it becomes second nature to you. And you could do it from memory, which is our goal. We want you to be not afraid of the Old Testament anymore. And what happens, some guys say that the first year is their favorite and the first part of the first year is their favorite because now they're no longer afraid of the Old Testament. They understand it. They understand where everything fits. So that's our job to make sure you've got that. And we hammer, 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 hammer the same things over and over again. Like when you take your tests, a lot of the same questions show up again and again and again and again and again and again and again. You're like, this is dumb. I know it. Good. Now we want you to know it. We want you to never forget it because that's the point. We want you to stand in front of somebody who goes, oh man, my life's melting down. We want you to know every passage on marriage in the entire Bible. See why? Because 19 out of 20 counseling situations are marital. 19 out of 20. So most of the situations you're going to enter into with guys at work or guys in your neighborhood or guys at your church are going to be marital. So if you know every passage and how it's used, then you know about Genesis 2.24, leave and cleave, one flesh, and you understand the foundation for that. And you understand, you know, as it comes to play in Matthew 5 and divorce or remarriage, and you understand how it comes in Colossians 5 and Colossians, not Colossians 5, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, and you understand all the foundations of what is charged in marriage, marriages at that point, then you begin to build a real strong foundation of marriage and how it's designed so you can enter into those situations. And we talk to you, okay, what if you run into a couple that are doing this? What are you going to say? Well, I'd go to this passage. Well, okay, you have this kind of situation. What, where would you go? Well, I'd go to this passage because you know the distinctions as to what they address. And you say, hey, God has an answer for you. And here's the answer. And, and this is what he would want you to know. Uh, most marriages, like in other cultures, it's leave and cleave. I went down to Mexico City and spoke on leaving and cleaving, and it was like the revolution. Okay? <laughs> Viva Zapata had risen from the dead. Uh, because every, every, every kid was living with mom and dad, and mamacita was running the show. The mom, mom was running the show. She was. I mean, it's part of their culture, but it's wrong. Every culture has its weaknesses. Our culture is independent. That's bad. It is. We're not, we're not supposed to be independent. You go to Russia... Uh, they got a lot of problems in their culture. Lying is acceptable. Cheating is acceptable in their culture. But community is not. You are related to everybody in your community. So you have a problem in your apartment. Everybody in every other apartment comes up there and it wants to help you fix your apartment. You know, it's incredible. In my, I could be flood and dying in my own house. And my neighbors are going, my garage door's down, man. So you got, I'm sorry. It's a different culture. You know what I'm saying? So we understand that. We understand. But you need to understand to enter in. When, oh, in Mexico, it was like I said, leave and cleave. And they're like, oh, you know, and the mamas were going to come get me. <laughs> and I said, sorry, but that's what the Bible says. Leave actually means, it can mean that Hebrew word leave, amputate. Leave that previous relationship and form. doesn't mean you don't honor your parents. doesn't mean you don't love them. 
but they don't tell you as a marital couple what to do. You have to do that before the Lord. And once that, they mess with that, they're messing with you. You know, well, my dad was much more understanding than my husband. You're blowing it, honey. You're blowing it. You are undermining that marriage. Does that make sense? So we talk about that kind of practical element to that verse as we go through it. So you've studied it. You've memorized it. Now we're hammering how you would apply it, how you would live it out. We're going to help you understand its true meaning. Does that help you understand it? We go through all that. We, we build a scenario of all the church discipline passages. We help you to understand love covers a multitude of sins, and that relates to Numbers 15, which is actually talking about intentional and unintentional sin. See, if you, every one of you sin today. You may be sinning right now. You're looking at me going, okay, whatever. Okay, I don't know what's going on in your heart. But understand, unintentional sin goes on all the time with all of us. Intentional sin or defiant sin is when I say, I know what the Bible says, but I'm going to shake my fist to heaven and do what I want. At that moment, that's when we apply church discipline. You don't discipline somebody who's struggling. You discipline somebody who's done struggling. You get it? So we walk that through, and that's what Numbers 15 then gave us the foundation for our understanding of church discipline. So then, you know, when somebody blurps out something on the patio, which I do all the time, which is inappropriate, then, you know, at, at church, then it's basically we cut each other a lot of slack. It wasn't intentional. I literally had people calling me for five, six, seven years. It still happens now, maybe once a year, twice a year, but almost every week going, I didn't mean to tell you, I'm a real big patio guy. Do you know what I mean? Patio guy after service, I'm flitting from flower to flower, man. I'm talking to everybody. I wanted to, I, cause I, you know, it's, it's, it's just what, who I am. I just love talking to people and, and seeing where they're at and ministering to them any way I can. And a lot of times it saves me, you know, I want to get together with you. I'm like, what about? And in three minutes we've you know, solved the issue. <laughs> And we don't have to have an appointment, which is great. But I love being with people, so it's not a, they know that I'm, I'm not trying to avoid being with them. I'm just like, let's say, hey, let's go, go for it right now. So, but, but in that process, they would say something, you know, like, oh, that, or, oh, that bugs me, you know, or something like that. And then they call me up and go, oh, I didn't mean to say that. I'm so sorry. I'm like, my question every single time, no kidding, and it's sincere, what'd you say? I don't remember what you said, because I don't think that way. If I thought you were being defiant, if I thought that this was an ongoing gossip issue, I'd say something. It's not. So love covers a multitude of sins. That's why that verse is there. You, you see what I'm saying? So we begin to learn how to deal with people. And then, then people kind of relax. Once they understand that we're not going to go after you, there's no Gestapo squads at our church looking for <laughs> who's sinning. You know, we, we assume everybody's a dirtbag. I, I teach the training center guys. I go, trust everyone, but never forget that anyone is capable of massive evil. And they are. From the highest elder to the brand new baby Christian, every single one is capable of massive evil. We all are. And when they give you an indicator, which means they speak it or they show it, address it. Otherwise, trust them. And I, I'm pretty happy. I trust everybody. But when they say something like, oh, then I, I talk to them about it. Does that make sense? So we learn how to deal. And so you're never afraid. But when they call me up and they go, oh, I said that. I don't remember what you said because I, I know you or, you know, I wouldn't think that way. But if I hear that every week from you, I'm going to go, you know, every week I hear the same thing from you. Uh, there was a guy at our church. He's still at our church. He's really tall. He, he's intimidating. He's big. He big. OK, his entire life, his Christianity was intimidating other Christians to doing what he wanted his entire life. 
And so one day I'm standing in the back, he's working on the sound booth and I'm getting ready to kind of preach and whatever and waiting for the next worship song to go through. And it's second hour because usually a lot more floaty second hour. I'm worshiping first hour. And anyway, he, he, he said something to me and it was intimidating. It was intentionally intimidating. And I looked up at him and I said, his name, are you trying to intimidate me? And he goes, he stood there kind of eyes bugged out and he goes, yeah. And I said, you don't ever need to do that, ever, ever again. I love you. I trust you. We all trust you. We love you. We esteem you. You never have to act that way again with us, ever. And he goes, okay. He never did, ever. His entire life, 30 years as a Christian, it was like, oh, and he would just throw out something and people go, oh, he, he doesn't do it anymore. He just, because he knew we loved him and. It was not a big deal, and you don't have to do that. You don't have to function by your bents to get people to do what you want them to do. Just be yourself and talk to them as man-to-man, you know, woman-to-woman, person-to-person, couple-to-couple. Does that make sense? So we talk about that kind of stuff. But it's all involved in how to relate to people, how to deal with people, how the Scripture then lives itself out, and we're constantly hammering that element of, of the, the scripture. So you're learning what the Bible had to say. That was a little bit of, of Moses editorial, Genesis 2.24. You'll see why it's there and you'll see what he's talking about and why it's affirmed over and over again in the, in the New Testament. Leave and cleave and one flesh. Cleave is glue. It's, it's like there's nothing. It's, it's actually welding. You can't break that bond. You know, you glue. It's, it's your, your wife and your husband become the people that you think about first and apart from the Lord in every situation, everything, never plan a vacation, talk about it. You say, wait a minute, she's supposed to submit to me. I'm like, that's stupid. Okay. (laughs) She's smarter than you in probably 55 different ways. uh, And you've only got five. So, but just think about, you know, listen to her and talk it out and then figure it out. Usually you can come to a really good decision, you know, together. Uh, and, and agree that this is re- the best thing to do. And sometimes, sometimes you go, no, no, no. Uh, like she didn't want me to come with Finn today, my wife. And I said, no, no, this will be good. This will be good because it'll give you time with Riker, our other grandson, and I'll get a little bit of time with Finn. And, um, and, 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 she, and, then, and then as we planned it all out, she, no hesitancy, she packed his bag for him. She got me all ready. But at first she was like, I, I don't know if that's a good idea. And I thought, no, it'll be good. I know Finn. So I, I learned some things. You know what I mean? I mean, you just figure it out. You work it out together. So sometimes you can make the wrong call, but it's, it's, it's okay. Chris, one last question. Yeah. And then we'll take a, a I know. Break. you got to take a break. I'm sorry. Yeah, you've been talking too long. I know. Um, I'm a, it's a gift. I have a question about what about guys who can't make it for any particular reason? They, they have three misses per semester, basically. What's the uh, consequence of missing a night? Oh, Devastating, um, that it, because it's not a class, so you're in a process, and so we have found, and this is universal, if a guy misses more than three classes, he can't catch up, because he's, he's given out of the flow of the process. So if you know you're going to miss 50% of the classes, don't sign up, don't do it. But if you go, well, I might miss one or two, then make sure that if you can video it or screen it, even that is bad but it's better than missing it all together or make sure there's somebody who's recording it and taking notes for you because you can't, those discussions are everything in the context of the, the class. It's not the lecture, it's the discussion. It's everybody owning it and going, wait, 
and, and it's an honest man like Chris saying, what about this or what about that? And, and going through that, that's where you grow. That's where you begin to understand what we're talking about. Does that make sense? So what we say to guys is that you shouldn't miss more than three classes. Now, there's probably been one or two guys that have, but they did such a great job of catching up uh, and videoing and, and tuning in and doing whatever, but uh, it was not the norm. It, you can't just assume that that's gonna be easy. It's actually worse for you, not for the class, it's worse for you. It just doesn't do its work because you're not there in the process. You are committing yourself to an integrated discipleship process with all these men. So you, even listening to the discussion, now understand that if the guys are doing it right, if you're silent in the classroom, they're gonna stop everybody from talking and they're gonna make you answer all the questions. Because you, you, we can't know your heart unless you talk. And, and knowing your heart is part of what is that design that God has made. You have to participate. So I know you're intimidated by hearing that, some of you, but it, you know, ask Nico, it's okay. Nico didn't want to say a thing and we just made him talk, right? We made you talk. Uh, you know, there's a couple other guys, James. James wanted to talk all the time, uh, so yeah. But true, right? We make them talk because we have to know what's going and you have to engage. You have to force yourself into that situation if that's not your natural proclivity. You have to because Another, in order for you to grow in that process, you have to learn to communicate. Listen, marriages are based on communication. Uh, Parenting is based on communication. By the way, this discipleship process will make you a better parent because there's no such thing as parenting. It's only discipleship. That's what parents do. They're discipling their children. Are you not? That's what you're doing. The word parenting doesn't occur in the New Testament. It's not. It's discipleship. You are disciple. We've made it a whole cult. And, and Christianity, you're just discipling your kids. You are wanting them to become to Christ and become like Christ. Can I hear an amen? amen? So you want them to be independently dependent upon the Lord and His Spirit and His Word and direct their lives the rest of their life. That's discipleship. Every area of their life coming under the authority of the Word of God. So once you learn this process, you become a better parent. You do. All of a sudden, you're like, no, 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 what I want you to do, I want you to learn this so you become that person. I mean, part of the reason I wanted to be spend time with Finn, my grandson, and my other grandson tomorrow night is because I wanted to have a little solo time with how Finn is made and how Riker is made and how they're made differently and how that will help them to be more secure in and of themselves so they're not so competitive with one another. Right? I, I just want a moment with them. I want them to understand the Lord made them different and different is good. It's good. Now, sorry. Boast moment, my five-year-old surfs. How many of your five-year-old grandchildren surf, huh? I mean, it's awesome. Anyway, sorry, sorry, I, did, I threw it out. Um, are we done? Yeah, we're done. Okay, thank you. I wanted to give you massive esteem for being here, for wanting this. Uh, what it means is that you just want to be used of God in whatever way he wants to use you. Uh, that's what it means. And to have this many to show up and saying, Lord, just help me to be more useful, more effective for your purposes is, is so encouraging to me. And uh, I couldn't esteem you more for that process. So thank you for the privilege of being here. And we'll be praying for you. We're excited about what's going to happen. So thanks a lot.